welcome to Clean Talk. I'm your host, Brad Whitchurch, and we are coming to you live from the beautiful Seal Shield Studios in downtown Orlando, Florida. Very excited to have my guest with us today. He is a uh, licensed pharmacist with 28 years of experience in electronic health record implementation and IT management. Please welcome to the show, Adam Tallinger with Divergent. Adam, welcome to Clean Talk. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, great, great to be here today um, and uh, looking forward to our conversation. Well, I am as well. Thank you for being on the show. Adam, what more can you tell us about yourself and why you're on Clean Talk today? Well, um, I, uh, I am a, like you mentioned, a licensed pharmacist. I started my career out in critical care, uh, moved into IT back in around 2005 or so, um, and uh, liked that side of things. So moved into consulting in 2011. Um, in that time, I've led a number of EHR implementations uh, from beginning to end. Uh, I have done some pre-implementation work, post-implementation uh, work with uh, services such as uh, support desk, as well as informatics programs, things like that, uh, IT strategy. And uh, now I'm at uh, Divergent, where I'm our Vice President of Provider Solutions. Uh, what that means is that anything where we have our responsibility for outcomes and or KPIs or deliverables in the provider space, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm where the buck stops there on that as far as the, the quality of those services. Well, fantastic. And I want to dive into uh, Divergent and what differentiates Divergent. You know, consulting is a, a, a kind of a ambiguous term, uh, which encompasses a lot. You named a few things there, but uh, there's some big players in the healthcare consulting space. Where does Divergent fit, fit in and how do you differentiate yourself? Thanks. Yeah. Uh, Divergent is a, an independent uh, consulting firm. Um, Getting to me mid-size, but still nimble and boutique in, in nature. Um, we, unlike the the big four out there, you know, we're we're looking to look at your organization and not shoehorn an industry best practice into the problems or solutions that you're looking at. We want to build whatever that best practice is for you as an organization is. Um, other differentiators, really, we have a, a huge focus on, on analytics. Um, we start every engagement with what story do we want to tell. We bring that all the way through to the end and make sure that we are um, proving our, our value to our clients uh, at the end of those engagements. And then lastly, um, looking at... Um, the ability to not just throw bodies at a problem. We do employ full stack developers uh, within our firm, which allows us to uh, build solutions and or, or tools or applications to facilitate some of the work that we do on the consulting side. So just to simplify it for our audience, when you talk about your consulting services, that can range from everywhere, everything from hardware identification custom software development to integrate that hardware to solve a problem within the healthcare organization? And then what about the human capital piece? Do you uh, get involved in the human resource side of uh, the consulting as well? 
Absolutely. So, so yeah, so Divergent really started um, out uh, way back when doing a lot of training and, and go live type work. Um, we're really still known for, for a lot of that work. But about five or six years ago, we really differentiated our uh, differentiated our services and broadened them out, knowing that we couldn't have all of our eggs in one basket there, and um, which actually led to some good viability during the during the pandemic. So we have services on the technology side uh, as a Microsoft Gold partner. Uh, we do implementation leadership as well as staffing. Uh, training and activation, as well as uh, payer arm uh, that we that we service as well. And then the new big thing out there right now, especially as we bring on Ed Marks as our new CEO, is how do we help organizations that really paused their digital transformations in the as the pandemic hit and their innovation programs, things like that. How do we help them pick those back up and move those forward so they can realize their goals in what they want to be as a digital services company? Well, let's dive into that a little bit more. Um, we do want to talk about the effects of the pandemic and the transition to our new world uh, during the pandemic and pseudo post pandemic. A lot of changes took place. Um, we know that uh, there were a lot of IT layoffs during the pandemic and focus on healthcare providers. And then we found a shortage of healthcare providers. What kind of challenges have you seen and how have you had to adjust on the human capital side of the equation when it comes to uh, healthcare consulting? Yeah, so there's a, a couple of couple of things, uh, one story and uh, a couple of uh, bullet points here for that. Um, one, I think on the, on the consulting side, we're seeing a lot less travel than we than we had previously so you know it's always been kind of a work from home when you're not at your client kind of kind of industry now what's kind of shaking out post pandemic is really uh those folks that would have traveled every week to a client site are now traveling somewhere between 25 and 50 percent um out there so that's a a big change that we see out there in the in the industry we're also seeing our, our customers buying over, over the screen uh, as well. Typically in the past, we would have had to travel to a client site to do orals presentations and things like that um, to win some work. Since the pandemic started and even continuing into that, we're seeing most orals presentations being uh, done via you know WebEx or Zoom or Teams or whatever technology they're using. And are you still seeing uh, healthcare organizations struggling to get good practitioners? Is this continue to be a challenge? We've heard about this in the media. Is does that persist? Yeah, abs absolutely. Um, you know, burnout is a is a is a real issue. Um, the Great Resignation is a is a, a big topic out there um, for organizations and people shifting. What we're seeing is that people are shifting their jobs with the two primary drivers being um, uh, dollars and the ability to work remotely. And then you but then, you know, a close 
grouping of the next uh, piece, pieces and parts of what makes people satisfied at work really is around the, the themes of, do I feel valued at work? Am I included? Um, you know, do I, do I feel like I'm making a difference out there? Um, the culture of that organization is a big piece of what's drawing people either to stay or drawing people into a, a new organization to make a change out there. Uh, also is a big, big factor with that burnout as well to, you know, big driver of burnout. If you feel satisfied and happy with your, with your work and what you're doing and feel like you're making a difference, you're not going to be as worn out when you put in those extra hours. So you mentioned the two top things, and I find this interesting that people are looking for more pay, but now for the first time, people are looking to work from home, right? Maybe that wasn't an option before, but now it's certainly an option if you choose the right place to work. But then you can, you follow it up with culture. And I think culture is so important. We see that in the commercial sector. Uh, you know, it's not just in healthcare. What kind of things outside of more pay and remote work, maybe specific to culture, are you seeing that some organizations are doing right that's helping them attract more people uh, than maybe some other organizations without that kind of cultural focus. Are there any tips or tricks you can share with our audience on uh, things that will help them attract better workers? Yeah, the the biggest the biggest tip is to uh, invest in your employees and your and your leadership. Uh, people, you know, it's it's a I think commonly used phrase out there that people don't leave organizations, they leave managers. Um, your management needs to have the ability to interact and engage the staff that you have out there. Um, culture start culture is really one of those few things that is a top-down um, effort. You know, people react to how a leader acts in a crisis. Um, the example that that leader uh, presents out there. If that leader is working all hours of the day and sending emails all hours of the day and, um, you know, working all weekend or when, when they're on vacation, they're setting that example for their, for their staff as well. And that's an example that is counter to the work-life balance that a lot of people are looking for out there. So it's, it's really having your management set the appropriate example for your staff. And there's, you know, you can do things through incentives, uh, you know, uh, um, rebranding re, re and setting your own departmental mission, vision, values that align with your organization's uh, mission, vision, values just at a deeper level there. Um, get everyone on board and walking down the same path. A lot of times people are going to the same endpoint but they're kind of taking their own direction there. And unless we set uh, expectations for everyone that are common and fair out there, we can't really hold them accountable to those kind of unwritten expectations because they'll, they'll make up their own expectations. 
Well, all things considered, I think we can agree that it is better to be with an organization with strong values, vision, mission, and culture uh, than one that isn't. Uh, so that's almost, I'll take that for granted. But are there any other factors? And let me remind you, Adam, this is an infection control podcast. Uh, I know that people working remotely can ha have a significant positive benefit on infection prevention uh, with less cross-contamination opportunities. But are you seeing workers um, request opportunities uh, around infection control where they know that there's a culture of infection prevention? Or are you seeing uh, healthcare facilities focused on infection prevention from a talent acquisition standpoint? Is that something that we're seeing in the market at all? Is that a factor for some people? You know, I think I think we are. And a lot of that we're seeing in the in the space of what kind of tools and technology do we have to interact with our with our patients and our patients out there are, you know, they're the ones we're trying to either, you know, care for or prevent um, infection in, right? The last thing we want is nosocomial infection in, in any of our patients out there. And some of our clients are, are starting to continue or continue to use the technologies they employed when the pandemic hit, when you can't have a loved one in the room with a patient to be able to use a device or something to interact with your, with your, um, with your family out there, those family interactions that support you get as a patient is hugely important out there, but it's also a risk um, in, you know, bringing in, you know, the kids who were just at daycare or things like that, you know, um, a lot of times there's a you know, potential to expose your, your patients to something from the outside through the use of technology, whether it's, um, iPads, other tablets, um, even, you know, just your, your personal smartphone and, and FaceTime or something like that gives you the opportunity to engage with those patients in a way where they can still feel that support from their, from their family and loved ones um, while we're still preventing that potential to, you know, expose them to, to some sort of uh, infection. So digital technology supporting uh, infection prevention. I love that. I want to uh, dive in a little bit more into the digital technology. But before we do that, uh, we do have a question. Uh, this question comes from Randall Rentschler, a Seal Shield Advisory Council member. And it's a kind of a loaded question, Adam. He wants to know, what is your favorite EMR? Uh, I, I have... Uh... Can I can I plead the plead the fifth on that? I've, <laughs> I've only if you tell us why. So I've, is it that well, there's different different situations or there 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 is there is um, the the system that I've worked with most often is the one that that's most prevalent out in the number of beds in the U.S. and that that being Epic. Um, Cerner has come a long way in their product offering. Meditech has has come a long way in what they have with their new Expanse um, uh, system as well. Uh, well. Other other EHRs in the inpatient spot are probably a little bit less viable there, but on the ambulatory side, you've got a whole bunch of other players as well. 
Well, uh, you named the big three. And of course, uh, many of our healthcare institutions have either recently gone through an EMR implementation with one of those companies you mentioned, or is preparing to go through that. And uh, we know that that could be a painful process. I assume that's where Divergent comes in? Absolutely. Absolutely. We can uh, you know, help the organizations with the uh, pre-planning for that to make sure that you have the integration points and your governance stood up, your uh, staffing that's needed for that. Um, as as organizations, and, and we're seeing less and less of that shift from either paper or something uh, really old, we're seeing a lot more M&A activity and consolidation of, of EHRs. Um, but when you do have that new EHR out there, it really is about staffing up and changing your IT mindset from we're responsible for keeping the servers up and running or the applications up and running to really understanding how those systems are being used at a deep level uh, for nursing, for pharmacy, for lab, for radiology, for cardiology, to make for infection control, to make sure that they have the tools, not only in the EHR itself, but as we start to look at like infection control and stuff like that in the peripherals, what kind of cameras are they going to use? How do you uh, to take care of uh, to take pictures of, of wounds or things like that? Um, how do we make sure that those devices are wiped? How do we make sure the images get to the right patient? There's lots of pieces and parts that need to get put into place during that implementation. And then the tail side of that is the training. And training is hugely important. Uh, I'm doing a presentation for class uh, next month um, with one of our other partners to talk about uh, the importance of, of training and how we're shifting training as we move into that post-pandemic space as well. Well, I, I know this is a hot topic for a lot of our viewers. And so I want to dig in a little bit more. Um, it, if you're a healthcare institution trying to determine what EMR solution is best for you, um, and whether it's an Epic or a Cerner or a Meditech, are there factors within your organization that dictate that decision or with the right implementation, are any of these solutions uh, equally serving? I think I think the 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 easy answer to that is with the right implementation, any EHR can uh, perform its function of documenting patient care, informing you on uh, best practices. Um, taking care of the revenue cycle side of things, uh, helping you with the access and scheduling pieces. Um, so often we see, you know, the, the, the worst thing you can do is try to take your old practices and put them into your shiny brand new EHR. Um, you really need to take what those EHRs have built over the last 15 years into their uh, model systems or foundation systems and the best practices for how those systems are used, take their advice and move those forward. 
And of course, along with that comes all kinds of additional uh, peripherals to integrate with the EHR systems. Let's talk a little bit about digital health and the changes that have come about. Uh, a lot of EMR implementation has been going on, a lot of emerging technologies in digital health, and then COVID hit. And some of the IT stuff got put aside to focus on uh, patient care. Now, are we seeing that transition coming back around? Are, are we seeing those uh, digital health projects that were backburnered uh, picked up again, or are we not there yet? Absolutely. I think that's that's the biggest thing as we come out of the the um, the pandemic that we're really seeing is that uptick in what is our digital patient experience, our uh, digital front door, our digital transformation uh, strategy. And, you know, if you ask 100 people what digital health is, you're going to get a hundred different answers out there. And that's What's why your answer. But my answer is um, really that we need to go into an organization and see what their strategy is, what their market capture is, what their goals are for that, um, where they are in their implementation of an EHR, ERP, uh, other uh, important uh, technologies within their within their system. Look and see: Are they using them at the top of the functionality? Is there headroom there for them to uh, implement and build that themselves? So it really is about you know us coming in and looking and seeing where they're at, looking to see where their strategies are based on their market, their services, and their wants and needs and build that best practice for them. And whether that's bringing a, a framework in there that they can uh, leverage some of the other technologies they've already put in place on and build upon that or uh, start fresh um, and just bring in individual, you know, individual do a bunch of selections and, and figure out what, what's best for each niche that they have um, we can take either approach there, but I think it's, it's a, it is a question where a hundred, hundred answers are viable out there for that question. Fair enough. Uh, not one size fits all and, uh, making customized solution that fits the needs of the customer makes a lot of sense, but let's talk a little bit about, uh, some of the emerging digital, uh, health care technology that we're seeing. And, you know, during COVID, as you well know, there was a big boost in telehealth. We've been talking about telehealth for a long time. And really COVID was, in my estimation, a major catalyst towards bringing telehealth towards the mainstream. And we continue to see the proliferation of telehealth. Of course, as an infection preventionist, we appreciate the benefits of telehealth uh, from reducing cross-contamination what are you seeing in terms of telehealth implementation? Uh, is that something that you're seeing more adoption of and how are uh, your clients utilizing telehealth in their, in their strategies today? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, uh, absolutely. We're, we're seeing, I think telehealth is, is here to stay. Um, it, it is a matter of making sure that um, it's reimbursable or that, that the, you know, in a, in a 
capitated uh, market for you know capitated services and 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 such you can actually bake that in there to save uh additional costs through you know virtual follow-ups and and things like that um, when the pandemic hit a lot of organizations kind of shuttered their their doors especially on the ambulatory side of things to uh for visits to focus on on the pandemic and and then they slowly kind of say shuttered the doors slammed in some sort of telehealth solution there um and then you know started to look at you know how do we get how do we capture patients again to get them into this this telehealth market now um one of our um one of our clients out there we actually helped them not shutter their doors uh, we actually this is you know, where where a little bit of innovation and agility kind of come into play. Um, we actually had out of work restaurant workers um, that were very skilled in um, the ability, uh, hospitality, and you know, uh, personable. Um, we actually had them uh, uh, support a a. a uh, rescheduling desk that we stood up for this client to reschedule over a hundred thousand visits and let that organization kind of continue with their ambulatory visits as as if they didn't really have a blip out there so they you know we got all those all those scheduled it, it took a market segment that was really hurting in the in the restaurant and hospitality uh, industry let us put our technology in place by standing up a PBX or a, a phone system for them to be able to do all this, train them up and get that all out there and help that organization meet their needs so they didn't really have that drop in productivity um, that they were that everyone else experienced out there. Um, I love that. That's a win-win, yeah. right? Yeah, uh, abs- absolutely. Absolutely. That, and that's a and, yeah, telehealth itself is with those systems that were kind of really put in place quickly. We see a lot of our customers out there that, you know, may have implemented a system for ambulatory and something for, you know, their cardiology practices and something for uh, another segment out there. There really wasn't a whole lot of coordination there, and it wasn't done in a purposeful kind of you know structured manner we're seeing that cleanup now happen of consolidating you know now we've got you know three different um uh video systems in our in our organization we need to consolidate that back into one and put the processes in place to use that across the enterprise that's really what we're seeing now um as far as on the payer side of things I think we need to continue to push and make sure that the reimbursability for telehealth and televisits, whether it's phone or video, um, remains out there uh, so we can continue that. It, that's an important element, and it has made a, a huge difference in the accessibility to care. Um, like you mentioned, you know, again, exposure to a patient. Um, 
and you know, overall have, efficiency, right? I mean, and it's o- a- overall efficiency, travel time is, um, you know, a, a huge thing that, that people don't schedule their, their doctor's, uh, visits because now I've got to, I've got to drive there. I've got to wait there. I've got to, you know, I've got to, uh, drive home. If they can just be on a tele, uh, telehealth visit where the physician calls them when it's their turn, they can kind of go about their regular day and, uh, you know, still be, be seen by a physician. Uh, Absolutely. Improving the, the patient experience, improving efficiency in the system. Uh, we like that. Outside of telehealth and obviously pre-pandemic, the EMR implementations, what kind of uh, digital health innovations have you seen either as a result of COVID or through uh, the natural progression of the technology in the space? Anything else you can share with our, our audience? Yeah, a couple of couple of things that that uh, one that that we put into to place um, as a response to the pandemic. Actually, two. Um, one is our uh, Tobias, which is our uh, AI assisted chatbot. Um, in the in the you know try organizations trying to still go live with their with their EHRs and still needing that support that at the elbow support um, having to deal with small physical spaces and social distancing or limited access to COVID units or other units within the hospitals and things like that we're able to see um, the use of both. Uh, Tobias, um, who uh, and, and at one organization was able to answer about eighty percent of the questions uh, thrown so, at them. So let me let me just interrupt you here because I I want to understand uh, Tobias the AI robot. I want to make sure that the audience is getting this. Take us back a little bit. Sure. Who what is Tobias? And uh, I'm curious as how uh, the AI robot got the name Tobias. Um, ooh, that's a, <laughs> I put you on uh, the spot on that. Yeah, you you are putting me well, on the spot. What does Tobias on that. I do? Should know that. I should what know that, Tobias but I do? don't. Uh, Tobias. So an an AI chatbot is uh, a, a chatbot that leverages two two functionalities. One is machine learning um, and artificial intelligence. The other one is algorithms. So you basically we you take you take the ai engine you feed all of your training material to it it's going to learn off of that and then it's going to further continue to learn off the interactions it has um put in some key algorithms in there you know if we want you know if somebody asks about this send them specifically here um if i can't answer if tobias can't answer the question how do i have a warm handoff to a real person that you can talk to. Um, but basically that person would then open up a dialogue, type in their question, you know, um, I forgot how to uh, enter a referral in there. And, you know, Tobias is going to look through all the data that that he has there and come up with an answer that says to enter a referral, you can do this. Uh, here's a link to the tip sheet for uh, referrals. Um, did this answer your question? If the answer is yes, he's going to learn that that that's a good answer for that question. If the answer is no, that's where it's going to he's going to learn that that that's not a good answer and probably either try again or dump you off to a, a real person. 
And Tobias is servicing the practitioners and the patients or just a resource tool for practitioners? This is um, right now, it's a, a tool that we have built out for um, the practitioners, uh, staff at a, at a hospital. Um, not saying that it couldn't be used for, there's a lot of other use cases, a, uh, HR for you know, potential screening of candidates. Um, on the patient side of things, you know, simple questions for the the patients, um, you know, uh, patient portal on their their personal device, things like that. So there's a lot of potential applicability, and we see chatbots all the time out there in our, you know, well, you've probably been to a website in the last two days where something's popped up in the bottom corner of a, you know, would you like to chat about this or our operators are standing by that. That's not a real person. That's a, that's a bot just like, just like Tobias there. Um, I even, I believe your, your Amazon returns are, are handled by bots now that, that you think are a real person. They're quite effective as well. So um, in conclusion, Adam, you know, COVID has, changed our whole world, it's changed healthcare, and, and we're continuing to evolve. Um, any predictions for the future? You know, I think, um, yes, I think we'll, I think we're going to learn to embrace digital body language. We're going to learn how to interact with people uh, better across the, across the screens here. I think the days of wearing uh, ties. I think it's it's more about what you know than what you're wearing. Um, I think we're be we've become quite a bit more casual. I think we're more tolerant of each other as a as a society. Um, you probably don't hear my neighbor having their lawn mowed right now, but I can certainly hear it. Um, but dogs barking, UPS at the door, children crying. You know, it's all just a, a matter of life. And what we're doing now is, is we're blending our work persona with our home persona. I don't have to put on a mask when I go to work and be a different person. I can be Adam at home and at work and bring you into my home in my office here. Adam, if people want to find out more about Divergent, what should they do? Um, you can go to uh, www.divergent.com and Divergent with a U. Um, or, um, well, that's probably the probably the best way is to go there and, and check us out. And uh, you can always find me on LinkedIn as well. Fantastic. Well, Adam, we appreciate you being on Clean Talk today. If you need some healthcare consulting, uh, be sure to check out Divergent. Uh, and join us next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time for Clean Talk Live. Until then, for my guest, Adam Tallinger, I'm Brad Witcher, reminding you to keep it clean.